Man, good morning. How you guys doing today? It's, it is such an honor and delight to be here, uh, found in the presence of our God, found with God's people. What a privilege that is. We could have stayed home. It's a nice day. We could have been on vacation. We could have went to the beach. We could have went to Rockaway. We could have went to Jones, not Jones Beach. Don't, don't go to Jones Beach. Go to Rockaway. Uh, there, there are so many other things that we could have done today, but I'm grateful that we decided to gather here amongst God's people. Can we thank God once more and again for uh, our Philly worship team? Amen. As, as Chris and Tashina, I was checking out their, their social media as they're zip lining through the jungles and all types of stuff on their honeymoon. We are excited and grateful to be able to watch them um, uh, really just deepen their union together and get married. It's a blessing. I mean, marriage is such an honor, and it's, it's good to see when young people um, want to take that step. And so we're grateful that for them and that they've got to disconnect. They've got to separate for a few weeks and just enjoy, just enjoy one another. One of the things I loved about the song we just sang is, is the part that just continues to say, holy, 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 And it, it just reminds us of our God, but it also reminds us of what we'll hear when we stand before God, that you will hear holy, not because of your righteousness, not because of anything great that you've done, but you will hear holy just based on the holiness of Jesus Christ. Whenever we think about God, most of us always think about his love, and that's a characteristic we should. We think about his mercy, and that's a characteristic, and we should. But most of us don't think about God and think of his wrath. His holy wrath. Why is it holy? Because he's so holy that no sin can be in his presence. And so just the fact that you will be able to, if you trusted Jesus, that you'll be able to hear holy, holy, holy is amazing to me. Because the truth is, reality is, if you sit back and think about it, we know we're not, right? 2 Corinthians 5.21, don't turn there, says, although he knew no sin, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Christ became sin. He took your sin so that you can become righteous, so that you can hear those words that we call about God, holy, holy, holy. And this is the central message that the church has, not just the church, but our church has has deemed as the most important message of all time. It is literally the power of God packed into a message. And so we want to communicate that. We want to get our lives around that on a consistent basis. Listen, we are back in our prayer series today. I'm thankful that we've been going through the last four weeks of a prayer series. The first week we were in Proverbs chapter 30 and we talked about Agur's prayer, talked about an uncommon prayer. I mean, Agur prayed a prayer that most of us don't pray, right? Uh, In Proverbs chapter number 30, where he says, two things I ask of you, deny them not for me. And then he says, don't give me riches and don't give me poverty. Most of us are praying, don't give me poverty. But how many of us are praying, don't give me riches either? Because Agur says, if you give me riches, lest I be full and deny you, just forget you. And so it's important for us, like Agur knew in that moment, I don't want to re-preach it, but Agur knew in that moment his own weakness. He knew if you gave me too much or you gave me too little, neither one of them would be good for me. Then we took a week off of our, uh, our prayer series and started to just really address racial tensions that is in our, our country. So we were in Ephesians chapter 2, took a break from the prayer series uh, although we took a break from the prayer series, we didn't take a break from praying. Uh, and so we, we sat in our gathering and prayed to, to the Lord and, and just called up prayers because our country has deep, 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 deep racial divide right now. 
So we talked about dividing wall, how the gospel breaks down those dividing walls. And the church, the church of Jesus Christ must be uh, one that the Lord uses as a model. The, the, the community, the neighborhood, society, our culture, our world will not understand dividing walls in, in terms of racial tension unless the church can model it. And so we talked about that. And then the third week we came back, uh, last week we came back and we talked about Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer. But before Jesus taught us how to pray, he taught us what? How not to pray. And so we talked about Jesus' words and, as it relates to how not to pray. And this week, I want to I deal with not just our posture. I, w- I do want to deal with persistency in prayer, but I really want to focus our time in on what it looks like to wait while we're waiting for God to answer a prayer. And even farther than that, if he does answer and says no, what do we do with that? Second Corinthians chapter 12 is where I want to spend our time. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Thank you guys for always being gracious when you come in as you turn in there. Thank you for always being gracious. And, and I know this is a small room and you guys, you know, deal with a lot trying to get in and out. And so we are grateful for a new space. But just wanted to say thank you for you guys. Uh, just commitment to come in consistently. It's not easy walking across people, uh, having to walk back across to go to the bathroom. Uh, these are not easy moments, but we're, we're thankful that you guys decided to come in. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I will, I'll read, I'll pray, I'll read, I'll announce our theme, and then I'll pray. If you got it, if you could say amen. amen. Verse number seven says this. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given to me, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Therefore, this is Paul again, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me for the sake of Christ. Then I am content with my weakness, insults. I'm content with my weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. I want to preach from the topic, when God is silent or says no. When God is silent or says no. Let's go before the Lord. Father, this morning we come before you in desperate need of the Holy Spirit's working. Would you challenge us today through your word? Father, many of us come in here with a heavy load today, but my prayer, my hope, my desire is... Um, not necessarily that you would move the heavy load if it's your will, but I pray that you would help us to focus in and zoom in on you today. Father, may your word fall on good ground that it may produce not just fruit, but much fruit this morning. Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, strengthen our prayer lives, let our prayer lives, let, this is the last sermon on this sermon series. May we walk out of here and feel some sort of conviction and even encouragement through your word this morning. Use it in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. When God is silent or says no. I know the great theologian Michelle Williams from Destiny Child says when, when, when Jesus says yes, nobody can say no. I actually like that song. It's a real, real, real catchy song. The, the reality is she's not a theologian. For those of you who are going, Michelle Williams, not a theologian. But the reality is, yes, that's true. When Jesus does say yes, can't nobody say no. We, we agree with that. 
But the same is true when Jesus says no, can't nobody say yes. And what happens oftentimes within prayer is we pray and we have an expectation that he has to say yes. He's obligated to say yes. I've been faithful. I've suffered. He has to say yes. But the truth is he doesn't have to do anything because he is sovereign. We love testimonies about prayer, about answered prayers, right? We love to hear that God miraculously intervened on a crazy situation and those we rejoice over. But we never rejoice, rejoice over the moment when somebody comes and says, I prayed and prayed and prayed about this. And God finally got back to me and said, no. We're like, oh, man, really? But how many know that that could be a blessing when when God actually says, no, that could be keeping you from something. And so the question that's on the table this morning is what happens in your life when you've prayed when you've pleaded, when you've cried, when you've asked the Lord, when you sought the Lord over and over again, and he says no. And here's the reality. When he says no, and you've been faithful, what do you do in those moments? Those moments have the ability to crush our fervency and zeal in prayer, don't they? We begin to ask questions like, God, are you, are you real? God, do you actually answer prayers? Did that prayer I just prayed hit the ceiling and then drop back down? Those are the moments where our faith and our trust in the Lord is really, really tested. But saying no to a prayer really could be a blessing. In 1994, the, the movie Santa Claus came out, The Santa Claus. I don't know if you've seen this movie with Tim Allen. When Tim Allen's on the roof and he knocks off Santa Claus, Santa Claus falls down and dies. And then he just inherits this Santa Claus spirit and he becomes Santa Claus. And in the movie, his ex-wife and her new husband just confess that they don't believe in Santa Claus anymore. They don't believe in Santa Claus. Why don't they believe in him? Because they requested something and didn't get it. Remember, the wife said, well, I, I requested a doll and I didn't get that doll. And the husband, he's a grown man now, but he's talking about I requested a weenie whistle and I, he didn't get it. And so he says, he says in that moment, he says, listen, he, listen, I, I don't believe in Santa Claus. I don't believe in him. Why? Because I, I prayed something and Santa Claus did not answer that prayer. Unfortunately, that is what many of our prayer lives look like. When God doesn't answer, we'd rather not believe in him than believe his silence is actually a blessing. We'd rather not believe that he could answer prayers than actually say he answered it and said no. But we, we put our hands up and say, no, no, no. God isn't real because he doesn't hear me. He doesn't answer the prayers. Truth is, he probably heard you, but he probably, he probably knew that it was no good for you. What happens when God says no? This isn't a matter of, of how spiritual you are. It doesn't matter how spiritual you are. Like, think in the text. Like, it doesn't even matter how much you suffer for the Lord. Like, look at Paul. Look at who's writing this text. Paul is the author of 2 Corinthians. Paul is authoring it, and, and nobody in this room has suffered more than Paul. Like, nobody. Like, even if you read the a couple of verses up, the chapter before this one, Paul talks about how he was beaten. This was chapter number 11, verse number 23. He talks about how he was beaten numerous times, often near to death. Like, you've, you may have gotten in a fight, but how many of us got in fights that you were often near to death? Paul was beat up so many times, five times, he says, at the hands of the Jews, four, he received 40 lashes, three times he was beaten with rods, once he was stoned, I doubt if anybody in here has ever been stoned 
Three times he was shipwrecked. Three times he was shipwrecked. And one of those times in which he was shipwrecked in Acts chapter 27, it says that he was shipwrecked, started to float on a plank back to the shore, gets to the shore, and then the natives there, because it's cold out, begin to build a fire. Paul goes to get a piece of wood for the fire. As he's getting wood, gets bit by a snake. Can you imagine that? First of all, like I would have been, like, been messed up at that moment. I'd have been like, man, I'm preaching the gospel. I'm trying to be faithful to what you're calling me to do. And I have endured a shipwreck, floated on a plank. I finally get on shore. I'm about to sit down and dry off and enjoy a fire. And I get bit by a snake. Like, I'm sure if Paul cussed, he would slip one right there. I'm sure he was not happy about that. So Paul endured over and over and over again. Paul endured suffering. In fact, the moment Paul believed in Jesus... In Acts chapter 9, the very moment Paul believed in Jesus, Paul says, I mean, the scripture says that Ananias is told to go restore Paul's vision. Read the story in Acts chapter 9. He's told to go restore the vision of Paul. He says, I'm not doing that. I know this man. I'm not going to restore his vision. And what does Jesus say back to him? Jesus says, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and before kings and before the children of Israel. Listen to this. For I will show him how much he will suffer for my name's sake. From the moment that Paul believed in Jesus, suffering started. And so if God is going to answer prayers based on how much we suffer, our boy Paul should have every single prayer answered. But he doesn't. So God is not obligated based on your suffering. And, and, and the opposite of that, he's not obligated to answer your prayer because you're doing so much for him either. Because you get up at six o'clock, 530 and have devotion time with the Lord and you light candles and you have your what would Jesus do bracelet on your John 316 shirt on that day. He's not obligated to answer your prayers. Like surely even within that, we can't even hold up to the standard of, I mean, really doing a lot for the Lord like our boy Paul once again. He's planted churches, written over 75% of the New Testament. Like, we didn't even write a verse. Paul wrote 75% of the New Testament, planted many churches, trained many men for gospel work. Paul did a lot. If anybody's going to get his prayer answered based on me doing and working for the Lord, Paul should have got an answer. But Paul doesn't get an answer, at least not right away. And when he does, he gets a no. And so it's not based on how much you suffer for the Lord. And it certainly is not based on how much you do for the Lord. God is not obligated to answer anything. Prayers are answered. Here it is. Simple. Prayers are answered purely based on the sovereign will of God. We want God to hear everything, but he's only going to answer what is according to his will. And many times our prayers are so fickle and not according to his will. So Paul pleaded with the Lord. And in the midst of pleading with the Lord, Paul got silence. And then when he does get an answer, he gets something that he really doesn't want. How are you going to respond? Or how do you respond? Rhetorical question, don't answer it. How do you respond when you've prayed, you've pleaded, you've cried and heard nothing? Can anybody be honest? Like I've been there or I'm there right now. How, many, how will you respond when you do pray and get an answer, quick answer, and he says no? How do you respond in those moments? The text this morning gives us how to respond. So let's consider the text before us this morning and look at how let's form an appropriate way to respond when God is silent or he speaks and says 
No. Verse number seven. It says, so to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. Please notice that what Paul was praying for was actually given to him by the Lord. Paul was pleading with the Lord. He didn't know it, but Paul was pleading with the Lord to remove something that God said, no, I'm putting it there. Like what happens in our prayers when we're asking God for something that God actually put on you? Say, it's, it's, it's good to pray when you've got yourself in a tangle, but what do you do when God says, no, it's good for you? No, keep that there, especially on hard times, right? We, we just want out. Most of us in the middle of trials, of hardship, the first prayer we pray is, Lord, get me out. We never pray, God, if this is your will, not just keep it on me, make it stronger. Let it produce for me the glory that you want to see out of this situation. We don't pray that. We pray, Lord, I want out. And that's what our boy Paul prayed as well. Here's what we don't know in the text. We don't know in the text what the thorn was that Paul is talking about. Many speculations have been made. Some say that it was emotional turmoil about his turmoil for the churches, his anxiety, his passion, his drive for the churches, according to 2 Corinthians Chapter two, verse four. We don't know. Maybe that could be it. Some say it was Paul's personal ongoing sin. I really I, that's a that's a position that I don't hold because I doubt Paul would pray three times for God to remove sin. And God say, no, go ahead and keep the sin. Like, I doubt if that would happen. But some speculate that it was ongoing sin. Some says it was a physical ailment that Paul couldn't see. Galatians six eleven talks about how Paul talks about he writes in large letters He's writing this letter to the Colossians and the letters are large, meaning he really can't see. And so some people say there's a physical ailment that could be true as well. Some say it's his speaking ability. They talk. They often ridiculed Paul and said that his letters were weighty. They were they were heavy letters. But up front in person, he was weak and his speech was not good. He had bad speech. All of these options seem possible to consider except the one for the sin. I, I, I removed that one. But everything else seems like it's possible to consider. What we, we just don't know. But what we don't know doesn't hinder us from the point of the text. The point of the text is Paul had something that he wanted removed out of his life, and God said, no, my grace is sufficient. I'm going to leave it there. That's what the scripture is telling us. And so this thorn in Paul's flesh was considered a gift. Like, think about that. The thing that you're praying to get out of could be a gift for you. It could be something that the Lord is asking that you continue to pray about, but just be okay when I say, nah, nah, I want to keep that on you. I remember taking piano lessons uh, and and praying to be a musician. I I just wanted to, like, I I thought musicians were cool, like, and I I just wanted to, I took piano lessons just to be cool, but I realized, and I I often joke with those who are actually musicians, I'm like, man, and normally, I don't know if y'all know this, but musicians normally can play more than one instrument. Have you ever noticed that? And I've always been like, man, I just want to play one. You play two or three, just like, Lord, give me one. Uh, But but I realized if the Lord gives me, if he grants that prayer, I can tell you now, I'm going to be conceited. I'm going to be like, listen, worship team, y'all did great. Thank you, Jeremiah. Y'all go ahead and have a seat. Let me, let me floss what I got. Let me show y'all what I can do. I, I would tell Chris and Tashina, let's take two more weeks off. Let me, let me handle praise and worship for a while. Uh, and, and so God didn't, didn't answer that prayer because he knows my weakness. He knows my heart. And so apparently he knows Paul. 
He knows what Paul is dealing with. And so he says, no, 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 I gave this to you. This was given to you. And so Paul is praying for something that is against God's will. But look at what to do in the text. The text shows us what to do when we're pleading with the Lord and don't get an answer. Look at what the verse says in verse seven. I skipped over it, but let me go back to it. Verse seven, so to keep me from becoming conceited. Here it is, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Although Paul is really saying because of what is revealed to me, aka the gospel, because of that, I, I could get conceited, but I don't want to. And so this was given to me. Although Paul is talking about that, there's another point that I want to pull out of the text. When God doesn't seem to be saying anything, when he seems to be silent, those are moments where we can rest in what he's already said. Look at what the scripture says. It says the revelations. What, is the, what do we consider the revelations? The scriptures. This is the revealed mind of God. There's, we don't need another Bible. We don't need another book in the Bible. Everything we need is found between Genesis 1 and Revelations 22. And so when you're not hearing anything, start to rest yourself in what was already said. Deuteronomy 36, 31, 6 talks about he will not leave you nor forsake you. Rest in that. You can't hear him. Rest in the fact that he said he ain't going nowhere. Psalms often talks about these writers, especially David. Read David in the Psalms. David seems like a schizophrenic in the Psalms. Like sometimes he's like, Lord, your word is like honey on my lips. And then the next chapter, he's like, like, Lord, where are you? Like, I can't find you. And so often the scriptures will tell us in the Psalms that the writers are often saying, Lord, the same questions we have, God, where are you, are answered in the text already. Because many people... I've prayed those. And so when God seems to hide his face, we can find him in the scriptures and we should rest in that. James 1, 17 says, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the father who does not change like shifting shadows. And so God is the same when you don't hear him. The same God that answered the prayer before is the same one you're praying to. And we can rest in that. We serve a God that doesn't change. And so in times of silence, let's rest in his word. What else can we do? Verse number eight shows us what else we can do. Look at verse number eight. Verse number eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. Three times. And so what did Paul do? In the moment where God was silent, Paul chose to continue to pray. Right? How many of us pray one time and we're like, God didn't answer it. I'm going to move on to something else. God Listen, Paul says, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to continue to pray over and over again. The only reason Paul stopped praying was because he got an answer. How many of us give up on our prayers because they're not being answered? Paul's like, no, I'm going to be persistent in prayer. One of the things I love about Paul's, this passage where it says that he prayed three times, he pleaded three times, not just prayed was not just his persistency. I love the fact that Paul went to God over and over and over again, and God's not overwhelmed by that. But one of the things I love more than that is, is Paul's passion during the prayer. Notice that it said he pleaded with the Lord. He didn't meditate. He didn't, he didn't do a seance. He didn't go, hum yo no regek. He didn't do that. He prayed. He cried out to the Lord. He pleaded with the Lord. That's a huge piece of prayer, your fervency during the prayer. This word pleaded here is the same word that describes, if you read the story of J. Iris, uh, J. Iris when his daughter was about to die, in, in Mark chapter 5, his daughter's about to die, he goes and he 
pleads with the Lord. Same thing with the leper in Mark chapter one. He goes and pleads with the Lord. How would you pray if your daughter was about to die? How would you pray if your limbs were being attacked and destroyed because of leprosy? Many of us would go and we would cry out. None of us in here would go and say, well, let me meditate. My daughter's about to die. Let me just go meditate to the Lord. Let me go pray in silence. No, Paul doesn't do that. Paul says, no, I got to go pray and I got to pray with fervency. James 5, the effectual fervent prayer. So we should pray and we should plead with the Lord. There's no time for meditating when, when times are hard. We have to stop and plead with the Lord, cry out to the Lord, scream to the Lord, Lord, I need you. How many of us just pray that? How many of us just sit there for a while and just be like, Lord, I, I need you to open this door. If you don't open this door, I'm going to die. My daughter's going to die. My limbs are going to decay and fall off. That's the type of pleading Paul is doing. But it's interesting. Paul is persistent. Paul is passionate and he's still got to know. Do you see that? So it doesn't matter. God's not obligated to answer based on how, how many times you come to him. Listen, don't hear me saying don't come to him. Come to him over and over again, but just be okay with the fact that he might say no. Look at what it says in verse number nine. Let me finish up verse eight. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Verse number nine, I love this. But he said to me, this is Paul saying, God said to me, notice something here. In the middle of his persistence and in the middle of his passion, Paul still has time to hear from the Lord. See, how many of us sit in prayer and pray? I said it last week. All we do is talk, 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 talk. All we do is just, we just do a lot of talking in prayer. We don't do any listening in prayer. Paul finds time in the middle of passion and persistence to hear from the Lord. He finds time to sit back and just hear a whisper from the Lord. 9-11, 2001, 9-11, when tragedy hit in New York City, it was interesting to read about the people, the, 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 um, they, they, I, don't, I don't know what you call them, they were specially trained people that would have these machines to listen for sound up under the rubble, right? So remember, people were trapped up under the rubble. And so these men would come in and they would literally scan all of the rubble to hear a sound. In fact, the machines were so precise that you could hear a voice or you could hear a human heartbeat. That's how precise these machines were. But think about how chaotic it was around them. You got cranes, you got machines around picking up rubble. You probably got F-16s flying over. You have news helicopters flying over. You got sirens all around you, people talking. But these men in that moment were focused on what was under. They were focused on hearing a voice. In the midst of all the chaoticness, all of the, the chaos, in the midst of all of that, they were trained to listen to the voice, trying to find a voice underneath. In that moment... They didn't care about rebuilding the the Twin Towers. They didn't care about uniting the country to be more patriotic. They didn't care about any of that stuff. The only thing they cared about was hearing the voice of those that were crying out. That is what prayer is when you listen to God. In the middle of our chaotic lives, in the middle of you, I mean, chaos around you, you're working, people are chiming in, people are giving you advice, people are telling you what you should do about that situation. How about listening to the voice of the Lord? Drown out, quiet out all that other stuff, and let's hear what God 
has to say to that, has to say to us. In a real sense, this is what our prayer lives is. Our prayer lives should be us with a machine listening to the voice of, of, the, of the Lord. If we're not doing that, all we're doing is blabbing. We're just talking and talking. And the best contribution you can give in prayer sometimes is just listening. Sit in prayer and say, God, you are, you are sovereign. You are in control. I'm just going to sit until you speak to me. Or let's open this because this is how he speaks to us. I know some of y'all are super spiritual and God comes to your table and sits down and he says, this is what you should do. Uh, here, here's my agenda for you for the rest of your life. He doesn't do that for me. For me, there are moments where I just don't know. I just can't hear him. I just, I have no clue. It's so much going on around me, but you have to pull back. Elijah in 1 Kings 19, you don't have to turn there. He talks about how he was listening to the voice of the Lord, but it didn't come out as he expected. It didn't come in a rushing wind. He thought it was going to come in an earthquake. He thought it was going to come in a fire. But the scripture says in 1 Kings 19 that it came in a gentle whisper. You cannot hear a whisper from God with chaos all around you. So what do we need to do? We need to declutter our lives. We need to get alone. Right? What, what did Jesus say? Go to your secret closet. We need to go there and try to hear what the Lord has to say. And so he says, man, three times I pleaded with the Lord. Persistence. I pleaded. Passion. God finally answers him. But look at the answer he gets. You would think with, with Paul's track record of being um, suffering for the Lord, Paul being so faithful to the Lord, you would think even in the midst of him writing this letter, being concerned about our church, you would think that God would say, yeah, I'm going to answer that. You want that removed? I'm going to pull it out. Look at what God says. He says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. Notice something right off the bat. I don't know. You can't see it up here. If you have a, a I don't know which kind of type of Bible you have. I have an ESV and it highlights the words in red when Jesus is speaking. My words are red, which says to me, because I know that's one of the questions you have. Should I pray to God? Can I pray to Jesus? Look at who answers the text. The text comes from Christ. What does that mean? That means you can absolutely pray to Jesus. In fact, Stephen did that in Acts chapter 7. As he's about to be stoned, the Bible says he gazes into heaven, sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Only time we see Jesus standing at the throne and Jesus is being prayed to by Stephen. Jesus says, Jesus, Lord Jesus, take my spirit. And so it's okay to pray to Jesus. Why is it okay? So there's something called, I don't want to get too deep here, but there's a doctrine called modalism, which means God the Father stopped being the Father to become the Son. And the Son stopped being the Son to become the Holy Spirit. We don't believe in that. You know why we don't believe in that? You look at places like when Jesus was baptized. I'm not trying to go too deep here, but when Jesus was baptized, Jesus is baptized in the water. You hear the voice of God the Father you see the Holy Spirit ascending like a dove. All three are present at the same time. Not to mention Jesus himself prays to the Father in John chapter 17. Is Jesus schizophrenic? Jesus ain't praying to himself. He's praying to God the Father. What am I trying to say? If you pray to Jesus, God the Father is not upset. Why? Because you're praying to God. There's one God. There's not three gods. There's one God. They just have three distinct persons. God the Father. God the Son. God, the Holy Spirit. And so what we see in the text is Paul is pleading to the Lord. Jesus answers, shows us the divinity of our king. We do not have a king that's merely a man. If he was only a man, 
if Jesus, I don't want to go off, off topic here. If Jesus was only a man, our payment, the payment for our sins wouldn't be permanent. Can I tell you why it wouldn't be permanent? Only God can appease God. Man can't appease God. So we can't stand before God. I don't care how good you are. He doesn't demand good. He demands perfection. We get that in God. God is the only one that can be perfect. And so Jesus comes not fully, not only man, 100% man, but he's 100% God, which makes the wrath of God that was poured out on him can be satisfied for all time because it was poured out on a perfect savior. And he can be perfect because he's God. I went left there, but the words are in red. So it's okay to pray to Jesus as well. This answers an important question for us, though, as it relates to the Trinity. So I want you guys to think on that. Look at the rest of verse number nine. Look at what Paul says. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest in me. Do you notice something here? Paul goes from pleading with the Lord to remove this thing, to rejoicing in it. Like, how do you go from pleading, Lord, get me out of this, Lord, take me out of this, to saying, if you're not going to take me out of it, Lord, I rejoice in it. See, some of us are just tolerated. Paul doesn't tolerate it. Paul rejoices in his weakness. Why? Because in his weakness, Jesus is made strong. Jesus never meets you in your strength. He always meets us in our weakness. See, many of us in community don't want to confess that weakness. We don't want to confess the weakness because we don't understand grace. Do you see that the scripture says, my grace is sufficient? We don't want to, see, we don't understand grace. We, we want to act like we got it all together, like we're strong. Jesus doesn't meet us there. Like, can you imagine a woman with the issue of blood? Jesus coming to her and say, what's wrong? Like, how can I help you? And she says, nothing, I'm good. Can you imagine that? She, she was only healed because she was honest with her weakness. She was honest with where she was, and that's where we must be. Paul says, listen, I'm going from pleading with you to remove this thing to realizing it's your will. You were silent the three times, the two times I prayed. Third time you answered, told me no, so I'm going to rejoice in it. How many of us can rejoice in what it is that God is asking us to do? Paul went from pleading to rejoicing, but look at the rest of the text. There's a word in here in verse number 10 that I want to bank our I really want to land the plane on. Verse number 10, for the sake of Christ, then, here it is. I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecutions. Like, hold on, pause there. Did you hear the persecutions that I said that he endured earlier? Beatings, almost near to death. He just said, I'm content with it. And so the things he's praying about, the things he's pleading with the Lord about, he's now finding contentment. See, most of us in prayer, let me finish it, in calamities, for when I am weak, then am I made strong. See, most of us want to pray that God removes it, but we never want to pray for contentment in the situation. We're always praying for our next season, right? My next season is coming. And when my next season is coming, I'll be out of this one. Can I tell you why that's a faulty prayer? Because many people that pray that lack faithfulness in the season you're in. Lack in the season you're in. Paul says, I am content with persecution. I'm content with the beatings. The snake, I'm content with that. Like most of us wouldn't find contentment in that moment. What would we find? We'd find complaining. We find ourselves complaining. We find ourselves trying to give up. 
or disbelieving that there is actually a God and he actually is on our side and cares for us. This weakness was good for him. Remember, he started out and said, listen, this is given to me so that I can't become conceited. I, my prayer for you today is that you would consider that whatever it is that you've walked in here with, and many of you have walked in here, maybe a beat up marriage, maybe a beat up week, a coworker that's getting on your nerves, friends that are getting on your nerves, family members, a situation, a financial situation, whatever the situation you find yourself walking in here with, my hope and prayer is that you would walk away and say, Lord, is this good for me? Like, let's not pray to get out of it so quickly. Let's pray to sit in it. Listen, if you do not, if you do not believe in the faithfulness of prayer, it really is a smack in the Lord's face. Why? Because the Holy Spirit's praying for you. Like even the Holy Spirit believes in prayer. Romans chapter 8, verse 26, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. Jesus prays for you. Right now, Jesus is on the throne pleading for you. John 17, we get to see Jesus' high priestly prayer. And in that prayer, he prays for you. Read it. And so most of us in here that are saying, uh, I think prayer is a good idea. The Holy Spirit and Jesus are like, listen, I'm all in when it comes to prayer. My hope and prayer with us today is that we'd walk out of here and be deeply committed to prayer. Be people that are passionate in prayer, but be people that understand the sovereignty of God during prayer. You're not sovereign. You're not in control, although we think we are. We're not, but Jesus is. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are uh, met with the reality that it is you and you alone that answers our prayer based on your sovereign will. You don't answer our prayers because we've done anything great. You don't answer our prayers because you're obligated to because our faith has pushed us into a place where you have to answer it. Yes, Lord, we have faith. But you don't have to answer it because of that. Those of us who have lacked faithfulness in prayer and even those of us who have lacked um, just a, a commitment to prayer because we don't feel that you're actually there, like you actually hear us. Those of us who have lacked that, would you convict our hearts today? Many of us have prayed prayers to get out of situations. Paul shows us this morning that it might be good for us. It's hard. It's not easy. But you're faithful. And so we don't need to rejoice in our strength. We don't need to rejoice in us getting out. Your grace is enough for us to boast. The fact that Jesus Christ became weak so that we could become strong is an example that the cross had power and it does work. Father, convict our hearts today. Help us to pray differently. Many of us lack faithfulness in prayer. Help us to realize that there is something so key to communicating with you. Give us those moments. Father, we have chaotic lives, Lord. We're just being honest. We have chaos in our lives. We live in New York, the most chaotic place. Would you declutter our lives so that we could hear from you? And when you do speak, let us be okay with a no. Let us not run to feeling like you're good because you've answered, but let us run to feeling like you're good just because we can 
just because you hear us. Like you hearing us is enough because Jesus Christ has purchased the right for us to speak to you. So it is in your son's name that we give glory. It is in your son's name that we come before you, realizing that apart from that, we have no right standing. It's in Christ's name. Amen.